we, we expect them to grow. And I, this lady doesn't know I'm coming to her right now, but I see this little baby over here. How old is this little baby? 21 days. It, it, can I prevail upon you just to stand up and show this little 21-year-old baby? Isn't this baby cute? Well, here's my point. We expect this baby to grow, don't we? And if this baby doesn't grow, then something is wrong. And so it is just normal that babies would grow. And so they come in the world, they don't know anything, they need total care, and then little by little they start to grow, and we measure them, and then they start to eat by themselves, and they start to walk, and they get potty trained, and they go to school, and they start to play sports, and they grow and grow and grow, and that's what we want. And God says, that's the same metaphor for my children when you come to faith in Christ, you're a babe in Christ, and you're in spiritual diapers, and you need to grow and get food so that you can become mature, and so God is wanting us to grow up. In fact, the Apostle Paul and the author of Hebrews laments the fact that said you should be adults by now, but you are babies. It is not right for us to go on and on and on. In time and in essence, and still be a baby. So in your mind, right now, can you visualize an adult on the platform in a big diaper with a rattle and a binky, sucking the thumb or the binky? Does that look normal? No, it doesn't. But you know, that's really the case of a lot of Christians. And so one of the things that we want to happen here for you to grow up is that the preaching ministry would also be an avenue by which you could grow up into maturity in Christ. And so we're turning to the book of 2 Peter. We already started last week, but in 2 Peter, it is just full of themes of growing, and we want you to grow. And so last week, we looked about how you would grow your Christian character. And we said, to your faith, Peter said in verses 3 through 11 of chapter 1, you need to add seven qualities. And so we're going to continue today where Peter left off. But first, I want to tell you a story. During the wedding rehearsal, the bride approached the pastor with an unusual offer. She said, look, I'll give you $100 if you'll change the wedding vows so that when you get to the part where you say, I'm supposed to promise, promise to love and to honor and to obey, we would just leave that obey part out. And she passed the minister a $100 bill, and she walked away satisfied. At the wedding, when it came time to the bride's vows, the pastor looked, in the, looked her in the eyes and said, Will you promise to prostrate yourself before him every day, obey his every command and wish? Serve him breakfast in bed every morning. Cut the grass and wash the car as long as you both shall live. And the bride gulped and said a timid yes. And then she leaned towards the pastor and hissed. She said, I thought we had a deal. And the pastor put a $100 bill in her hand and said, yes, but the groom made me a better offer. <laughs> We looked last week at the seven qualities to add to your faith, but here's the reality. The devil keeps on trying to make a better offer. 
You don't have to do it that way. You can do it your own way. You don't have to listen to God. Just live the way you want to. Make your own rules and do whatever you think is important in the Christian life. That's the devil trying to make you a better offer. And so Peter understands that. And so before we move on, he goes to three or four more verses to to remind us about what he said in what we talked about last week. You got your faith, your salvation, you add seven qualities to that, and so we're going to see today that he tackles two areas, a review of what we talked about last time, and then a brand new section, issue number two, how the Bible came to us. And so if you want to follow along, if you don't have a Bible with you, it's the Pew Bible, page 1018. But I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God as we look at this exciting text today. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was uh, borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, we were ourselves, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain." And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men men spoke from God as they were carried along by God the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. Thank you. Well, as you saw in the scripture reading, verses 12 through 15 is a review of what we saw last week in the sermon. And if these seven qualities are true, you're going to be growing. What are they? Virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. And I've been in the ministry long enough to know what Peter knows. you got to remind God's people about the truths of the Word of God. So we're going to jump into a little review right now, starting at verse 12. New material in the book, but review of what Peter had said. And he says, therefore. Now, the word therefore always connects to what went on before. And Peter is saying, because these were so crucial, these seven qualities, therefore, I have to remind you. I don't want you to forget them. And so that's what's on my mind today as well as on Peter's, to remind you. Because if you're going to have true Christian character, you cannot have it without those seven qualities. And I don't want you to forget that you need to keep on adding seven qualities to your faith. And as I said before, the reality is you can go to the Old Testament, you can go to the New Testament, you can come to modern day. God's people are forgetful people. 
And so we're reminding you today about what Paul said, we're motiv- or Peter said, we're, we're motivating you, we're exhorting you to do this. And so he's tenacious. He won't let it go. Three more verses to make his point. And he says in verse 13, as long as I am alive, I'm going to remind you of those seven qualities. And then he goes to verse 14, and he says, here's why I'm so adamant about this. He says, I'm going to die soon. He says that the time for putting off my body, that is, going out of my tent in Greek, is not far away. And guess what? Peter wrote this in about 66 A.D. He died, or was martyred actually, in about 67 or 68 A.D. And you might be wondering as I, well, how would Peter ever know that he would be martyred within a year or so after writing this letter? And the answer is right in the text. It says in verse 14 that Jesus made it clear to him. Somehow, and we're not told, Jesus said, you don't have a long time to go here. You will be called upon to suffer for my name. Your days are numbered. And when Peter heard that, he said, I am really on a mission. I am coming to these people, and I'm going to tell them, be sure you grow up. And so he says, remember to add the seven qualities to your faith. Well, I, in a way, stand here like Peter. The Lord has shown me that I only have a short time with you, <laughs> maybe six months, who knows. Now, he didn't tell me I'm going to die. He's saying, you'll get a new pastor. And so I have this urgency that while I'm here, the number one thing you would remember about Al Detter and his ministry, that he was here every Sunday saying, grow up in Christ, grow up in Christ, Grow up in Christ. That would be the most incredible thing that I could ever hear said that people a year after I'm gone from this place would say, remember when Pastor Al said, grow up together? Remember when he said, add those seven qualities to your faith? My heart is for every single person here at Old North Church to grow up. Because how terrible it would be if you were 55 years old in Christ and you looked like a 21-day-year-old baby. A 21-year-old baby, a 21-day-year-old baby is cute, but not a 65 or 55-year-old baby uh, person looking like a 21-year-old baby. And so my heart is that you would grow up. Okay, enough of a reminder. Peter moves to the second issue. An issue that we need to understand in this modern day, just like 21 centuries ago, they needed it back then. And here's the big idea about the second issue that he talks about, which is the origin of Scripture. Where did the Bible come from? And the big idea of my sermon. We must be very clear on how the Scriptures originated or we're going to make some huge mistakes. If we aren't clear about where this Bible came from, we're going to be making a ton of errors and mistakes, not only theologically, but practically as we live. And so in verses 16 through 21, what Peter is going to do is eliminate some false ideas about where the Bible came, and then he's going to give you the true one. And so that's where we're headed today. 
We're going to talk about some of these false notions that came into the false teachers' minds back then. And then Peter's going to deal with them briefly, and he's going to get rid of them one by one. And then he's going to give you the real one. Now, this is teaching that we desperately need in the church of today across America. And the reason the Bible in churches just like ours is under fire. People are trying to erode the supernatural nature and authority of the Word of God. And I know something about me that you need to know. And it's based on what Peter's going to say here in the Word. I am firmly convinced that the Bible is a supernatural book that came from God himself. And I also know that because it's a supernatural book, it's going to order my life. And I also know because it's a supernatural book that it's going to order the church. And so wherever I have been a pastor, this has been the authority for faith and practice because it's a word that has come from God. And far be it from us in this church, starting with me, to ever water it down, to ever explain away the supernatural elements that are in it, and to make the opinions of man about this book over the word of God simply isn't going to happen because this is such a powerful word. You see, throughout church history, there have been two major theological attacks on Christianity, and they've both been against a certain type of the word of God. The first attack has been against the living word of God, and the living word of God is Jesus Christ. He is declared to be the living word of God, and there have been attacks against Christ by false teachers that have tried to take away his deity, that he is less than God, and all the major heresies throughout the centuries have been attacks against the living word of Christ to dethrone him from his being God, all the way back to the third century and even before then to our modern day. The second attack has been against the written word of God. The devil comes against the word of God, either the living word of Christ or the written word of God, which is the scripture, the Bible. And the attacks against the Bible has been to take the supernatural element out of it, to humanize the Bible, to undermine its authority in the lives of human beings. And so today, we're going to look at the origin of the word of God. Because once we find out where it comes from, and we know that from the depths to the depths of our hearts, then we understand why it is such a powerful force in our lives. And so we're going to look today, as I said, at four possible origins. Three of them are wrong. One of them is right. And so let's look at the first possible origin of the Bible that Peter talks about in verse 16. He says, some are teaching that the Bible came from fictional stories. At some point, Peter had talked about the second coming of Christ to the people. And by the way, I think it's a shame that churches today aren't talking very much about the second coming of Christ. That's our blessed hope. And we need to be talking about the Lord's return, don't we? And Peter said, I'm going to be teaching my people about the Lord's return. And he said in verse 16, we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he taught them, but he said, you know... When we taught you about the Lord's coming and, by implication, other matters of the Lord, we didn't use cleverly devised myths when we taught you. In other words, he wasn't 
saying that when we taught you these things, we're teaching out of the fables and the, the, the uh, allegories of fanciful uh, false teachers that were penetrating the church. Wait till you get to chapter 2, by the way, when he levels the false teachers, and that's coming up next week. But Peter said, our teaching didn't come from fictional stories. When we taught on the word of Christ and his return, we talked about the truth and something substantive, fact and history through the authoritative apostolic message. Now, isn't it interesting? In the 21st century, we have, been, we have gone back, as many do in the Church of Christ, supposedly that is, to the first century where many scholars today and interpreters of the Bible say that many of the teachings in the Word of God are based on myths and stories and fables that were spun by well-meaning people to teach spiritual truth. Peter said, we didn't do that. And so I find it both amazing and disconcerting that we live in a day where some theologians and pastors and teachers of the Bible are saying, for instance, that Adam and Eve is a myth. Peter said, we didn't use myths to teach things. That the flood is a myth, that Jonah is a myth, that Job is a non-historical drama, that his Hosea is a non-historical drama. They're, they're myths, they're fictional stories to teach truth. Peter said, that isn't the case. We don't teach truth that way. And so he said, we have never used clever, cleverly devised myths and stories to make their way into the Scripture and to pose as something that would give you a spiritual lesson. It comes through historical reality through the Word of God. And so Peter tells us like it is. And I take the side of Peter... I take the side of Jesus and Paul and James and the others who say that this word is not a word based on fictitious myths and fables and allegories. It simply is not. And so modern scholarship that is liberal comes to the Bible. And they're looking for rational and naturalistic explanations. But many of the events of the Bible are miracles. Miracles don't add up to logic. They break through the, the natural order of things because God is demonstrating something beyond what he needs to do for the benefit of his people. And so there are scholars who would rather see fictional stories than miracles here, and they water down the word of God. And I can just tell you this, my friends. If we don't have a God of miracles... We have a God who's very limited in power, and we all have a bigger problem than we think. And so Peter says, when it comes to issues about creation and man and sin and salvation and the future and teachings like that, they are based on historical realities and the supernatural nature of God, not on cleverly devised myths and fiction, which then eventually became Scripture. And so, right now, Let's rule out any nature of teaching that says what is in the Bible to teach us spiritual truth is myths and legends and fables and fictional stories. Peter said, no, that is not the case. So he moves us on to a second possibility. It's what I call experience in verses 16 through 18. 
And a second origination of Scripture could be godly men having these wonderful experiences. And then they write them down and then they become Scripture because they were phenomenal men who had phenomenal experiences. And he goes right into that in verse 16. He says, guess what? Peter. I am Peter, and I was one of three people who had a phenomenal experience. We got to see eyewitness of his majesty. We taught to you the second coming, and we got to see what that preview was like in what we call the transfiguration. And that's when the glory of God came in a very special way on a mountain. And then suddenly Moses and Elijah were there, and things were transformed into the brilliance of the daylight and of sunshine. When God said from heaven about his son, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. It was a sensational experience. And the significance of it was that it was a phenomenal prefiguring of the second coming of Christ. And as Peter was teaching about the second coming, he says, wow. I had this phenomenal experience that prefigured the second coming of Christ, and he did use it to support his teaching about that. But listen, when he shared his experience, he took some measures to say, but my experience is not equal to God's word. It is not equal to the word of God. And so in verse 19, he said basically, I just shared my incredible experience, but But, he says, but we have a more sure word than experience. It is the written scriptures from God. We have what he calls the prophetic word. Now, friends, I want you to know there is a place for experience in the Christian life that There are times we have phenomenal times with the Lord and times in his word and we see his hand in our life in a very, very positive way. But even the apostle said, my experience doesn't carry the weight of scripture. And so even in our day, every so often books are written that talk about after death experiences and seeing Christ and visions and angels and family and friends And we've had some books like that come out in the last few years. Heaven is for Real, for instance, uh, 90 Minutes in Heaven, 23 Minutes in Hell. And people are talking about their alleged experiences in those places. But here's the thing. They might be interesting and informing and amazing, but you cannot forget this. Peter says that no human experience, no matter how interesting and phenomenal it may be, is ever to be elevated to the par of Scripture and say, if this book says something, it must be the way it is because they actually did it in heaven or hell or whatever. And therefore, it must be equal to Scripture. That is wrong. Peter says that's not what we ought to think, not even close. And so I've talked to a number of people over my ministry years who've had experiences, and I've learned never to debate their experience. Because, you know, maybe they had them, maybe they didn't. But what I've done is that I've always said, well, you know, if you've had experience, I want you to know something. There's a more sure word than your experience. It's the word of God. And experience never is meant to carry the weight of the scriptures that we would believe somebody's experience like we believe the word of God. Now, it is true that occasionally the Lord would take a person's experience and put it into the Bible. 
that was God's will to do. But we are never to take our experience and make it equal to the Bible. So Peter is saying, okay, let's rule out fictional stories as origin of the Word of God, and let's rule out great experiences as the origin of the Word of God. Let's now go to the third possibility, and we see that in verse 20. And he says, the third possibility is someone's own interpretation that became the Word of God. Look at verse 20. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. What is Peter saying? He is saying that Scripture never came as a result of somebody writing down what they thought about heaven and hell and God and angels and the devil. And, all. and then when they, thought, when they wrote down what they thought about those things, then it became Scripture. He said, no. That's not how it happened when men interpreted that spiritual reality as they wanted it to. The Scriptures were never someone's own interpretation. It's what God said about it. It's revelation. What God said, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. That's what it is, he says. Now, I want to pause on this word interpretation for just a moment, where he says it never came from someone's own interpretation. That word interpretation can mean several things. And so I want to talk about that for a moment. It can mean how it's used in our passage, that men's viewpoints or interpretations about spiritual matters were written down, and thus they became the Scripture. And Peter said that's not how it happened. But there's another meaning for interpretation that we understand, and that is how we understand the meaning of the already written scriptures. So I hope that you understand what I'm saying. The Word of God says here through Peter that um, what people thought about something wasn't written down and became the scriptures, their interpretation. That's one part. The other part is what's already written down. Well, what does that mean? That's the other second meaning of interpretation. And that's what I want to pause on for a moment. That what, what does it mean for people to say, well, it means this or it means this or it means this or it means this. Did you ever notice how many positions there are on what the Bible means? I mean, there's all kinds of ideas about what a passage means. In fact, that's kind of what spawned a lot of the denominations in different churches. For instance, Baptists believe in, in, in immersion, Presbyterians in pouring, and Baptists believe in a certain type of government, and the Presbyterians believe in another kind of government. And so all these different interpretations. And where am I going with this? There are far too many people out there today who say, what I believe about the Bible equals what the Bible says. And that, to me, is way too authoritative. Because over the centuries, there have been a number of different interpretations about orthodoxy and things that, that could mean in different ways. And so it is arrogant. It is divisive. It is all kinds of things for somebody to say, what I believe about the Scriptures is what it actually means. And there are people out there trying to say that today. And we have to be very careful about people who raise their interpretation to stand as equal to what they think the Scripture means. An interpretation is an interpretation. It is not necessarily what the Scripture might mean. And so having said that, I want to return to the matter of what Peter's talking about here. He's talking about the matter about the writing of the Scriptures, not the understanding of what's already been written. So Peter is saying that men didn't write down what they thought about things and then have it become Scripture. That's not how it happened. So let's rule out the three things that Peter said. He said... Fictional stories didn't become Scripture, and experience didn't become Scripture, 
and interpretations of what we think is going on did not become Scripture. He says we have another thing to look at. And so it's very important to understand this last one I'm calling the origin reality. The origin reality. How did the Bible come to us? And Peter is clear. He says in a nutshell, men spoke from God. Men spoke from God. In other words, he's saying this is a divine book. It is not a human book. And it's very important for us to understand that a word emerges in these verses three times. It's the word prophecy. That word prophecy here is equivalent to the word scripture, used three times. And prophecy can have a number of meanings as well, including foretelling the future. But in this text, it's talking about equal to the scriptures. And so the scriptures, by, that, by the way, at that time, they didn't have the New Testament. All they had was the Old Testament, and that was written mainly by the prophets. And so what we have is prophecy, and that is the word of God that became Scripture as God moved upon these prophets. And so today we have all 66 books, and we could rightly call it the whole Bible prophecy. So here's what Peter says in verse 21. No prophecy, no Scripture was ever produced by the will of man. It did not originate because men thought about something of God or something about some idea spiritually, and then he wrote it down and decided to share it with other people, and eventually it became Scripture. He said, not one line of Scripture ever came that way. Rather, the Bible came to be written at certain times when Peter says, the Spirit of God came upon them and caused them to speak or write directly from God as the Spirit carried them along. Now the idea here where I said about certain times, do you know that Peter wrote other script, uh, that is other writings? Did you know that some of the other apostles wrote other writings and they weren't Scripture? Scripture only happened is when the Spirit of God came upon a person at certain times and the Spirit of God bore them along and they wrote, and then that was declared to be Scripture. And so the idea here is in a metaphor in verse 21, where it says they were carried along. That word is only used two other times, and it's used in the book of Acts, and it was a picture of a sailing vessel. And the sailing vessel would put up its sails, and the wind would carry the sail and the ship along to its destination. And so here's the picture. There were times as men were walking with the Lord, that they would lift their spiritual sensitivities as sails to the Lord. And the Lord would kind of, with the Spirit of God, fill the sail of their receptivity, and they would write. And as they wrote, the church then recognized this to be Scripture. Now, these were men who wrote through their personalities. It wasn't as though they were just mechanical there and lost all will and understanding. They wrote through their personality. They wrote through their mind. But they were like sails being carried along by God's Spirit. Now, you need to know that there are all kinds of books and courses on how we got the Bible. And I don't mean to be simplistic. But what I want you to know at the bottom line is that Peter is saying that human authors cooperated with God when the Spirit of God came upon them, and when they wrote, it became the Word of God completely from Him, not one whit because of human origination. 
To put it another way, the Bible is a divine book about the divine nature of God from cover to cover, inspired only and completely by God through the agency of godly human authors. There is no other book in the world like this book. So Peter says, what did I tell you? He said, this scripture did not come from myths. This scripture did not come from human experience. This scripture did not come from private interpretation. This scripture came from God. And so, I want you to know something amazing as we close. Our relationship with God is virtually invisible. We can't see him. He doesn't speak audibly with us. We don't have actual pictures of anybody in the Bible or of Jesus Christ. We don't have a piece of Noah's Ark. We don't have the Ark of the Covenant. We don't have a chip from the manger. We don't have a splinter from the cross. We don't have the shroud from Christ's tomb. We don't even know where the tomb really was. And so I'm going to ask you to do something right now. If you have a Bible, I'm going to ask you to pick it up. All right? Pick up your Bible. I want you to hold it in your hands. And as you hold it in your hands, what I want you to know is that the Bible is the only tangible, spiritual thing from God that we have. It is 66 books. It came from the very mouth of God. And God took every other spiritual relic away from us. Because he thought the Bible was enough and he knew that we'd probably worship some relic. Now keep holding your Bible. I want to close with what Peter says we're supposed to do with this word that came from God. In verse 19, it says, You will do well to pay attention to it as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. And so listen up. I think you know, I don't have to sell you on this. This world is a dark place. It's getting darker by the day. It's darkened by sin, by the philosophies of fallen man. It's darkened by disease and terrorism, all kinds of things. And it's under the dominion of Satan. Especially as we approach the end days, it's getting darker and darker. But listen to what Peter says. He says the scriptures are a lamp shining in the darkness. In other words, he's saying, this is your only light in a dark world. Psalm 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. The same idea that Peter's talking about. So here's the takeaway. If you will learn and listen to the word of God that came from him and not through man, you will see your way through the dark world. You will see the path and the light of the Bible will help you to understand spiritually the truths that other people will miss in the darkness. And if you don't realize that your Bible is the light in a dark world, I can assure you, you will stumble around in the darkness. Well, how long will you need the light of the Bible to be your lamp in a dark world. Look at verse 19. It says, until the day dawns and the morning star rises. Do you know what that means? God has given us 
his light, his lamp, until the morning star, literally the light bringer here, returns. What's Peter talking about? We're going to need the Bible until Jesus comes back. And when he comes back, the light bringer, Jesus, will lighten the world. But until that time, the whole course of our life needs a light. And it is the word of God. Listen to me. The matter of the origin of scriptures, where did it come from, is absolutely essential. Because if the scriptures did not come from God, if they are fictional stories, if they are experiences, if they are the interpretations that came from man, you have dimmed the light. You will not be able to see your way clearly through the darkness. It is God's word to men and women that become the light in the darkness of the world. And so I say to you, O church, I beg you, don't let anyone tamper with a high view of the Bible. Don't let anyone tell you that it didn't come completely from God. Believe the sure word of God, not the pretentious words of man. Don't live your life without the light of the word one single day. It's too dark out there. And then give God glory that we hold a book in our hands from heaven itself. Honor this book. Receive it from God. Receive it and believe it in your heart and then obey it. I'm going to ask every one of you right now to bow your heads. No one looking around. Keep holding your Bible. With your heads bowed in silent prayer, would you tell God that you're holding a phenomenal gift from heaven, the Bible? Would you thank God for it? Would you tell God that you believe it from cover to cover? Would you tell God that you're going to use it as a guiding light in your life every day? Would you ask God to forgive you if you trivialized his word in any way or have ignored it? And if you're struggling over the things we talked about today, ask God that he would make it clear to you the truth about his word. If those things are the prayer of your heart, I'm going to ask you to speak to the living God right now a word of thanks and that you would just express to him how you feel about the Word of God that you hold in your hands right now in silence. Father, I pray the, the silence will be loud in your ears of God's people, your people across this worship center, each of them telling you how wonderful you are and how grateful we are that you sent us your word, your prophecy, your scriptures that are the light in the darkness of this world. And Lord, forgive us, forgive the church for taking away the supernatural nature of your word, for dimming it in this dark day. Oh God, may we be a church that doesn't worship the Bible, but believes that it comes from the very heart of God and that every day it's going to be a life changer because the light bringer has brought us, first of all, the lamp and then one day himself. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.